Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. So we're in a series of messages, and we're talking about the Apostles' Creed. Now, why is it significant? It's the oldest creed in Christendom. The Apostle John was the last apostle to die, and he died about the year 100. In some place between the year 100 and the year 110, we have the Apostles' Creed already, in the, basically in the form that we have it today. And that's important because the book of Jude, the third verse, says to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith is what Christians believe, and it was delivered once for all. In other words, what Christians believe in the first century, Christians believe in the 21st century. Uh, a couple years ago, I read a book entitled A New Kind of Christianity. The only problem was it wasn't Christian. Somebody was trying to reinvent Christianity. But what they were proposing was not biblical Christianity. So we're unpacking the Apostles' Creed, and we've been beginning each one of our sessions by confessing the Apostles' Creed together. So let's go ahead. As they put it up, let's read the Apostles' Creed out loud together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Somebody came up the other day and said, well, that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Pretty much says it all. Well, today we're going to look at, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. You know, any creed that lacks the return of Christ is incomplete, and really it's not even Christian. Right? Over 300 times, got that? One out of every 13 verses in the New Testament talk about the return of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has risen from the dead. The Bible says he spends 40 days with his disciples, teaching them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And while they look steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, he's blessing them, and he begins to ascend up into heaven. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Now, these guys look like men, but they're actually angels. And when angels appear, they usually appear to be people. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we should be careful to entertain strangers. By doing so, some have entertained angels. They weren't even aware that they were angels, but they were angels. So these two men stood by them in white apparel. They're angels who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So the return of Jesus is literal. It's not symbolic. It's not spiritual. It's literal. Acts chapter 3 verse 20. And that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before whom heaven must receive until the restoration of of all things. Now you remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God creates this beautiful, beautiful world, 
puts Adam and Eve in this beautiful world. They have fellowship with God every day. They have fellowship with each other. There's no barriers. There's no problems. And then Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes and he brings sin, death, sickness, disease, war, pestilence, every bad thing that you can think of. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's staying there until the restoration. God, everything that we lost through the devil, God's going to bring it back. God is going to bring it all back, and there will be a time of restoration of all things. God, the, the plan God had in the beginning, he is going to see it through all the way. Now, Jesus' return, you need to remember this, is connected to judgment. In Acts chapter 10, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. Now, as I'm talking to the majority of people here, I believe are Christians. So I'm going to make mention of some things that I wouldn't if I was talking to a group of non-Christian people. All right, Jesus is coming twice more twice once he's coming for the saints and then he's going to come with the saints when we talk about Jesus coming for the saints it's often traditionally referred to as the rapture somebody said that word's not even in the bible you're right it's not in the greek bible but it actually came from the latin bible the word raptura and it simply means to be caught up and it comes from 1 Thessalonians 4:17 when it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, but to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. Now notice, he's only coming this next time for those who are eagerly waiting for him, right? And when he comes, it's apart from sin. It has nothing to do with sin. The first time that he came, he paid for sin. Right? Then he's going to come apart from sin, and he's coming for the church. And then he's going to come again, and he's coming to execute judgment on sin. Right? But there is one time that he comes that it does not have to do with sin, and that's when he comes for the church. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, Concerning those who have fallen asleep, least you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now when it's talking about those who are asleep, it's talking about those that have died. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or those who have died in Jesus. How many believe Jesus died and rose? The Bible says just as surely God's going to raise the believers. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. There are going to be people that don't die. Why aren't they going to die? Because Jesus is going to come before they die. Right? And that's what it's talking about. Jesus' return. We'll by no means proceed or go ahead of those who have fallen asleep or who have died. Now, if you're a believer, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Every believer you know who died... Angels carried them. Their spirit, their soul were taken to heaven and they're present with the Lord. But we took their body and we buried their body. 
But Jesus redeemed you, spirit, soul, and body. When Jesus arose, he didn't arise alone. Remember, the Bible says many of the people that had been buried around Jerusalem, the saints around Jerusalem, were raised with him. And they were seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. So when Jesus returns, he's returning with his saints, those that have died, and they're going to pick up their bodies. The dead in Christ will rise first. It's talking about their bodies will rise, right? We won't precede them. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. The next time Jesus comes, he comes for the church. He's coming for those that are eagerly waiting for him. In Luke 21, Jesus gives his discourse about end times. And he says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. I want to ask you, when's the last time you prayed you would be counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming? Right? The book of Revelation, most of that book deals with a seven-year period of time that the Bible refers to as the day of the Lord. And it's the time where the wrath of God is poured out on the earth. You know, there's these seven bowls of the wrath of God that get poured out over all the earth. There's a war and one-third of humanity dies. There's a natural disaster. One-third of humanity dies again. The Antichrist is running around. He's cutting people's heads off. There's wars all over the place. You do not want to be here. Right? It's the, the, literally, the wrath of God is poured out. And Jesus said, pray that you would be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9. But God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. In the Old Testament, it says that God reserves his wrath for his enemies, not for the church. Now, and again, in Hebrews 9, it says he's coming for those who are eagerly waiting for him. He said, pray that you would be counted worthy. Now, he's talking to his disciples. He says, pray you'd be counted worthy. Here's what I want, want you to understand. I don't believe that every person that's a Christian is ready. I think there's Christians that they're living a selfish life. I think they're Christians that are living, they've got fire insurance. How many know what I'm talking about? But that's all that they've got. They're like, I want to see how much of the world I can get myself into and still get into heaven. Jesus tells a parable about this in Matthew 25. He says there's ten virgins. Five are wise, five are foolish. Five have a lot of oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. Others just have a little. And as they're waiting for the bridegroom, that's Jesus. The foolish, their oil runs out. And they say to the wise, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, we can't. Because you need to go and buy your own. And while they're gone, the bridegroom comes. And then they want to come in later, but they aren't allowed in. They aren't allowed in. Now, that's not talking about heaven. That's just talking about being able to escape all of these things that are going to come on this earth. Pray always, Jesus said, that you would be counted worthy to escape. Somebody said, well, that sounds like escapism. What did Jesus say? Pray that you'd be worthy to escape. 
I'm telling you, Noah escaped. Lot escaped. And Jesus said, pray you would be counted worthy to escape. So first, Jesus is going to come for the saints. In Jude, again, the 14th verse, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, he prophesied about these men also. Now Enoch is a prophet. He's the seventh generation from Adam. And he, was a, he prophesied, and it says about these also. Now he's going to talk about the return of Jesus. But now listen, he had another prophecy, and I want to take a quick look at it. It's found in Genesis chapter 5. It says, now Enoch lived 65 years and he begot Methuselah. And, you know, sometimes we read our Bibles too fast. And we just kind of pass right over stuff. But there is like a big message right here in just those few little words. Now, Methuselah is born to Enoch. And when he's born, God shows Enoch the future. And he shows him that judgment is going to fall on the earth. And God is going to destroy the earth in a flood. And so he names his son Methuselah, which means when he dies, judgment falls. How many like that for a name? Like everybody's like, leave him, hey, be good to him, you know. Make him, give him no ice cream, let him eat broccoli. You know, we want him to live a long time, all right. In fact, he did live a long time. You know, before the flood, there was this canopy of water, the Bible says, up in the atmosphere that protected people from the, the rays of the sun. And people lived to be extremely old. But Methuselah lived longer than anybody ever lived. 969 years. And the reason he lived so long, listen, is because God did not want to judge the earth. God wanted to have mercy. And he kept on giving him another year and another year and another year and another year. But finally, God said, that's it. Methuselah dies, and you can run the genealogy. He dies the year of the flood. That's when he died. And judgment fell. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. When he saw coming judgment, it changed the way that he lived. By the way, 1 John chapter 3 says, He that has this hope in himself. The hope is the hope of Jesus' return. The number one prophecy in the New Testament, the return of Jesus. He that has this hope in himself purifies himself, even as he is pure. The Bible says when you understand that Jesus is coming again, that he's coming not just as king of kings and lord of lords, but he's coming to judge the earth. Enoch walked with God after Methuselah for 300 years. He had sons and daughters, and he was not because God took him. He was not. God simply took him to heaven. The Bible later says that God took him, that he would never see death. Never died, never will. A type of the church, of the believers that are alive when Jesus comes back, that he is going to catch away and take to heaven that will never die. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints. Literally 10,000s times 10,000. Or you can just say this way, an innumerable number of saints. He's not coming for the saints. He's coming with the saints. What's he coming for? To execute judgment on all. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all the ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Jesus is coming back with the saints to execute judgment 
on the ungodly. And the book of Zechariah is talking again about the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a large valley, half of the mountain moving towards the south, excuse me, towards the north, and half towards the south. Then you will flee through my mountain valley. For the valley, the mountain valley shall reach to Azil. Yes, you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzzah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. All the saints what? With you. So there's two events coming. There is a private event, the rapture, which is for Christians only. For those who are eagerly waiting for him. And then there is a public, universal event, the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back with the saints to execute judgment. Now, why do we even talk about this? First of all, to motivate you to reach out to the people that you know. Motivate you to evangelism. Jesus is coming again. The Bible says to comfort one another with these words. As you go through tribulation, it's a comfort to know Jesus is coming to rescue us from the wrath that is to come. And because we don't want this, Paul said, to overtake you like a thief. Like a, the, Jesus' return will be like a thief in the night to the unbelieving. But to the church, it's not supposed to be like a thief in the night. And we talk about this so that you will pray that you will be counted worthy. All right? And because this is to motivate you to holy living. He that has this hope in himself will purify himself even as he, Jesus, is pure. Because he has appointed a day, Acts 17, on which the, he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has ordained and has assured us of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus' second coming is connected to judgment. And most of us don't have that kind of a picture. Let me just give you a little bit from Psalms 110. The Lord is at your right hand and he will execute kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He, Jesus, will fill the place with dead bodies, and he will execute the heads of many nations. He will Jesus believes in capital punishment, by the way. He says, he will execute the heads of many nations. I would not want to be an ungodly politician making stupid laws about abortion, about marriage, about un, literally ungodly laws because the king is coming. And when he comes, he will right every wrong. The Bible, the, the Bible says that he will execute the heads of many nations. I would not want to be that kind of a politician. Secondly, I would not want to be an uninformed Christian that votes for that kind of a politician. All right? Now, listen, I'm an American. I'm proud to be an American. All right? But listen, when I vote, I vote kingdom. The Bible says your citizenship is in heaven. Our number one connection is to the kingdom of God. All right? Not to any worldly kingdom, but to the kingdom of God. The Bible refers to Jesus' return as the blessed hope. 
It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Now, there's two judgments. When Jesus comes back to execute judgment, there's two. Psalms 1 in verse 5 says this. Therefore, the godly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. There's two different judgments. In Hebrews chapter 6, where it talks about the fundamental, the very basic doctrines of Christianity, one of them is called eternal judgment. In other words, there's not a second chance. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. No negotiating later. Right? It is eternal judgment. The first one of these judgments is literally that we're going to talk about is for the ungodly. Right? Now, theologians refer to this as the great white throne judgment. And we're going to go to Revelation chapter 20. And uh, I'm going to try to explain to you why theologians call this the great white throne judgment. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. That's why. <laughs> All right, that's why it's called the great white throne judgment. All right. Standing before God and books, plural, were open. This is important. Books, plural, were open. And another book, singular, was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. The books are referred to by theologians as the books of works. And they contain all the works that people have done. But notice, there's books and then there's book. Books and then the book of life. Verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death, which is hell. So they're judged by the books, but to not end up in hell, your name has to be in the book of life. But they're judged by what's in the books. Let me explain this to you. Let's say we have a man. He's a good guy. He gets married. He's a good husband, good father, good provider. But he just does not want to live for God. And he just rebels against God all his life. And he dies. He's going to stand before God at this great white throne judgment. And Adolf Hitler is going to be there too. Adolf Hitler, who murdered six million Jews, on top of, the, of that, gypsies, and what he considered political undesirables. In total, in the death camps, about 11 million people died. An additional 50 million people died in the Second World War caused by Hitler. Now Hitler's going to be there, and that man is going to be there. How many of you think they should get the same punishment? Because they don't. They're judged according to the books. And the books are full of their works. Their works. Now, to, not go, to, to, to go to heaven, your name has to be in the Lamb's book of life. Their name's not there. Right? But will they have the same punishment? No. Jesus said to one city, he's, he said, it will be more tolerable for Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. 
because of all the mighty works that have been done in you, and you refuse to repent. Right? So people will be judged based on their works, but they'll only go to heaven based on their name being in the Lamb's book of life. There's different degrees of punishment. All right? But to get to heaven, there's only one way. Your name has to be in the Lamb's book of life. The only way to get your name in that book is to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Lord and Savior. A lot of people want him for Savior. They want fire insurance, but they don't want to live for him. But Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He needs to be the Lord of your life. Basically, we can say it this way, there's two questions that will be asked in eternity. This isn't the exact words, but this is the content. The first one is, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my son Jesus? Did you live for him completely? Did you receive him? Or did you live for yourself a selfish life? Did you follow the world, the flesh, and the devil? That will be question one. Hell is not a place God sends people that he's mad at. Hell is a place where people pay for their own sin. That's what hell is. Hell wasn't even made for people. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus said that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for people. It's just if you're not right with God, there's no place else for you to go. So the first question is, what did you do with Jesus? The second question, this is the one every Christian will hear. What did you do with the stuff that I gave you? With the time, the money, the possessions, the gifts, the talents, that I gave you, what did you do with them? The Bible says, and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every believer will be judged. But you won't be judged because of your sin because your sin was paid for at Calvary. Jesus said, Revelation 22, 12, listen, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. He said, work? I thought I'm saved by grace. You are. You're not saved by what you do, but you're rewarded for what you do. Got that? You're not saved by what you do, but you're rewarded for what you do. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward. I love the message Bible. It says, and my paycheck is in my hand. Right? He got a paycheck for you. He has a reward for you. But every one of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You say, what does that look like? It's explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll just start with the 11th verse. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, here's what this is saying. It's saying your works have to be based on the foundation of Jesus. You love God. You love his kingdom. All right? If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work that he's built thereon endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. You say, what's that all about? All the things that you do in God's eyes, they're either gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. And all your works, believers, he's going to put on an altar, and the fire of God is going to hit it. Everything you did out of selfishness, everything that you, you, you did 
how can we just say this? Motivated by the world, the flesh, or the devil will burn up. But everything that you did because you love God, because you love his kingdom, right? Because you love his church. How many of you know Jesus is building the church? He said, I will build my church. That is exactly what he's doing right now. And, 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 and let me just say this. I, I, if I was you, I would change some of my priorities and I would hook up with Jesus. Right? I, would, I would get involved with what he's involved in. Right? Because when the fire of God hits your works, the things that you did because you love God, because you love the church, because you love the kingdom, that is gold, silver, and precious stones. And for that, you'll receive a reward. All that other stuff is wood, hay, and stubble. It'll burn up. But now listen, this is what it says. This is so interesting to me. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet it's through fire. You can be a Christian and make it to heaven. But everything that you did, you did for yourself. And every one of your works can burn up. And you get zero reward in heaven. Are you saved? Yes, you are. But is there a reward for you? No. The Bible says there will be people who every work in their life will be burned up. And they will suffer loss, but they will be saved. Yet as through fire. Look to yourselves, the Bible says, that we don't lose those things that we work for. That we may receive a full reward. And I don't know about you, but I'm interested in a full reward reward in a full reward again Jesus said I am coming quickly hold fast to what you have let no one take your crown don't let don't don't lose what you have don't lose your reward he's coming quickly he said and my reward my paycheck it is with me you're not saved by what you do you're saved by grace but you will be rewarded for what you do would you please bow your heads for just a moment you say, what sort of things? When you pray, when you worship, when you fast, when you give, when you resist sin, and when you get involved back in the nursery, when you speak words of comfort and blessing, when you encourage others, you're going to receive your reward. Now, if you're here today, but you're away from the Lord, or you're, you know you're not right with God, you say, I want to get right. I want to be ready. I want to be one of those that are eagerly waiting for him. Again, over 300 times, the Bible talks about Jesus coming again. Number one prophecy in the New Testament. And he's coming for those that are eagerly waiting. So if you've drifted away from God, this is for me, for you. If you know you're not right with God, this is for you. I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. And you're saying to God, today, I'm receiving Jesus. Today, I'm going to stop living to please myself. And I'm going to begin to live for him. When you lift that hand, you're saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know there's one Savior and that's Jesus. And I'm coming to him today to be saved. One, get ready. You're going to lift your hand on three. And we're going to pray. God's going to meet you right here in this place. When we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Secondly, when you lift your hand, you're saying to God, God, today, I'm turning my back on my whole life. And I stop right now living to please myself. I'm going to live for Jesus from this day forward. Two, now get ready. 
you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today, by faith, I am receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of your kingdom on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up right now. Say, pray with me. I'm not where I should be. I want to get right. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand, that hand, another and another, another. Thank you. Up in the balcony. Thank you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else. Thank you. God bless you, sir. Another hand here. All right. Now, would everyone please stand? Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Would you move to the aisle, wherever that is? Bring the person next to you if you need to. Bring your purse, bring your Bible, bring whatever you brought. But come right down here. I'm going to meet you here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray. We're going to say amen in just a moment. When we say amen, your past, it is going to be gone. You are going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. He's going to make you a brand new person on the inside. If you would, all the way from the balcony, if you can make your way down here, we're going to wait for you. All right. Come on down. Jesus said, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus hung on a cross for us. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Today, you're making the most important decision that you could ever make. This is a decision you'll never regret. Right? A lot of people have buyer's remorse, but there's never remorse when we give our lives to God. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. This is for you. Whosoever, that means you. I promise you, this will work for you. Right? All you need to do is what the rest of this verse says. It says, we'll call on the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. Right? And this is God's promise to you. will be saved. That's a promise. All that you need to do is pray this prayer from your heart. Right? And then live that life that you're telling God you're going to live today. You ready? All right. Everybody take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. I want you to repeat this prayer. I want you to make these words your own as you pray. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe that he rose again. And I believe he's coming again. Today I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin. That my past is gone. That I am forgiven. That you make me a new person on the inside. A part of your kingdom forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616 616- 
534-4923.